The Spirit will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. John chapter 16, verses 14 and 15. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. So today is Trinity Sunday, if you hadn't guessed already. And the reason we have Trinity Sunday, the reason the church sort of in her wisdom in sort of orchestrating the sequence of feasts in the church year places this right after Pentecost when we remember the historical event of the Holy Spirit coming down is because it's with Pentecost that finally God has fully revealed himself to mankind. Under the old covenant, God revealed that he's the only God, that God is one. And then when the Son of God was announced by the angel and born of the Virgin Mary, which we celebrated at Christmas, we learned that God is two. Right? And then Jesus has his ministry and he starts teaching about the spirit that's going to come. And then on Pentecost, this Holy Spirit comes and, wait a second, God is three? So all of a sudden, the mystery of the Trinity is now unveiled with Pentecost. And yet there are not three gods, but one God. Right? And the reason we know that is because the Bible says that in both the Old and the New Testament. Every Jew would have said every day, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And Jesus says, The Father and I are one. Right? God is, there's just one God, and yet we see three. So we see three. Like, think of um, Jesus names all three, of course, in this verse I just read. But think about Jesus' baptism. You hear the voice of the Father. The Spirit appears like a dove descending on the Son. So you see three, but we know that God is one. When we think sort of philosophically about God and try and intuit who is God, we, we know that there's one, but we see three in history. So the mystery of the Trinity is revealed. Now, if this doesn't make logical sense, right. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't compute the way mathematics computes. Nothing in the visible universe is both three and one at the same time. This is a unique quality about God. We can't compute it, but we actually can understand it. It requires a supernatural faith to be able to understand it, and God gives us that faith, but we can understand it even though we can't compute it. St. Paul would put it like this. He says, we confess, right? Usually you confess something that you know. The mystery something that you don't know, that's been revealed, which means you know it, right? Do you see that tension? We confess the mystery that's been revealed. That's what we're doing when we confess the Trinity. Um, it's really essential that we confess that God is Trinity in unity, even though it baffles logic and is admittedly confusing to think about. Um, we can't just wash our hands of it. I think sometimes we have this temptation uh, as Christians living in a sort of skeptical rationalist error, when we have a mystery like this, to just kind of step back from it and say, well, I don't know about all this Trinity stuff. <laughs> we can't do that. We, we actually need to claim the confession boldly. Um, I had a bulletin. Where did I put it? Here you go. Um, flip in your bulletin to page, uh, look, at, look at your bulletin, to page, page 10. I love Trinity Sunday because we get to say the third great creed of Christendom, the Athanasian Creed, which runs three pages. Look, it goes to page 12. (laughs) Um, With all statements about the Trinity. 
Okay, and I'm really looking forward to confessing this together. Look at page 12. Look at the last line of page 12. It's right in there in the middle, right before the prayers of the people. We're about to confess a lot of details about the Trinity, and then we say, this is the Catholic faith, and Catholic there meaning universal, the faith that's held by the whole church, which except a man believe faithfully, he cannot be saved. Now, this is strong language. For 150 years, Anglicans have kind of been squirming about the Athanasian Creed, like, ooh, cannot be saved. I mean, that's kind of the biggest gun you can pull out, right, in, when we talk about the Christian faith. That's really heavy. Really, you have to believe the Trinity in this much detail to be saved? Yes. <coughs> this doesn't mean that you have to have a PhD in theology. On the contrary, a lot of PhDs in theology get this wrong. What it means is actually that we have the faith of a child, right? When, you, you, most of you know, I have two little girls. When I let Lucy, tell Lucy something about it, she just goes, okay, daddy, right? I, I wish that was true that with, with every command, but at least with descriptions, when I'm trying to explain stuff, she just accepts my description as reality. And that's how we're supposed to be with God. When he says, there's one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we know that like when Jesus gives the Great Commission, right? baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We just say, okay, I believe your self-description. It takes, a, a child can confess the Trinity. A child can actually confess and assent to the Athanasian Creed. We receive it as truth, um, and we actually need to receive the doctrine of the Trinity in order to be saved. And, and I want to explain why I think that it's, that's the case and how that works. Um, so I want you to, to join in, in like a thought experiment with me. Um, to try and understand this. Every preacher just walks with a trepidation when talking about the Trinity, so I'm going to tread carefully here. But um, I want you to pretend for a second that you've never met a man named Joe Salome. Okay, those of you who don't know, this is Joe Salome. I want you to pretend you've never met a man named Joe Salome, and you're relying just entirely on my description of him to you. So I would describe Joe as a middle-aged man of an average build and olive complexion, salt and pepper hair, pretty handsome fella. Um, and here's the deal. I want you to imagine that there's a, a coming apocalypse, something terrible like a plague or a war. And I tell you, there's only one plane getting out of town and it leaves it out of Atlanta at 545 and the person you need to meet at the airport is Joe Salome and he looks like what I just told you, okay? And now let's say you say to yourself, you know, I don't really like guys with salt and pepper hair. I think that Joe Salome has blonde hair. You could go to the airport you're never going to find Joe because he doesn't have blonde hair. You're looking for the wrong guy. You're going to miss the plane and be wiped out in the apocalypse. Again, what happens if you say to yourself, you know, why do we have to be so picky about all these details? Atlanta, 545. Let's just say an airport sometime in the evening. Are you going to make the plane? Are you even going to meet Joe? No, right? And this is an example of why it's so important to believe God as he's described himself to us. Because there is an apocalypse coming, right? L literally an apocalypse, as John has revealed. But ultimately, sort of the devastation of a life apart from God, which the church calls hell. And there is a plane to escape that apocalypse. The forgiveness that Jesus Christ offers. And there is a pilot, the triune God. The father of our Lord Jesus Christ who sent his spirit. And when we say the words Jesus Christ, we don't just mean some guy, some carpenter, who's maybe kind of like God, 
we mean Jesus who is fully God. And when we say the Holy Spirit, we don't just mean some sort of angelic energy out there. We mean the person of the Holy Spirit as the Bible describes him. What we're going to see is every line in the Athanasian Creed just safeguards that simple truth. It's just a really clear fence around the simple truth that God is three and God is one. You take away any line of the Athanasian Creed and all of a sudden you have a picture of God that doesn't line up with who God is in reality. It's not our mental picture no longer lines up. If we, if we take away any of the sort of true teaching of the Trinitarian doctrine, our mental picture doesn't line up with who God is, which means we'll miss him at the airport. Right? Only if we have a right knowledge of who God is are we able to then reach out to him in relationship and actually be interacting with the real him and not just some sort of fiction in our minds. I, was, I thought of it like a, you know, if, if you wanted to study a particular star in the sky, you'd have to turn your telescope exactly to focus on that star if you wanted to get to know more things about that star. Right? You've got to hone in. You've got to have the telescope of your mind focused on, on actually God's revelation of himself in the scripture. It's um, paramount for living the Christian life. Um, And the way we get there is actually by first assenting, first confessing, to say even when we don't, there's pieces we don't understand or we have difficulty to say, no, I believe the faith of the church, which is summed up in three creeds, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and the Athanasian Creed, which we bust out once a year because it's so long. But just say, "I, I, I believe this. And then when we step out in faith first, that sort of act of the will to say, I believe, it's amazing actually how then the mind can begin to understand it. Until we say, I I confess it, I believe it, the Trinity is just this sort of confusing barrage of facts. But when we say, I believe it, all of a sudden it's like, I feel like I can kind of, even though it doesn't make any mathematical sense, I feel like I can kind of understand it. And it's a great joy to come into this knowledge. um, It's very popular today to want doctrine to just be kind of doctrine light, right? Just a little sprinkling, not a seasoning that flavors the whole thing. Um, It's very common to hear sort of statements, even from Christians, like, oh, he he believes in God. And I'll say, well, which God? Right? He believes in Jesus. What does he mean when he says Jesus? Does he mean that Jesus the church confesses? Or some fiction? Right? Not everything that goes by that name is the real Jesus. Oh yeah, he's spiritual. What spirit is that person yielded to? Is it the Holy Spirit? It's actually, um, it's actually not kind in our witness to the world to sort of shy away from or soft-pedal the teaching of the Trinity. Because right? that's the only way who God is. Anything other than that is, is not the real God. To veil the details is not a service. So what I want to encourage you today, this morning, is um, to be proud of your confession of the Trinity. Yes, it's baffling to the world. Yes, it makes no mathematical sense. But to be proud, yes, I confess the faith of the church, the Trinity in unity. And if you want to understand it better, after confessing it, study the Athanasian Creed. Take this home with you. Tease out the sentences. There's a lot there. And lastly, what I want to say is confessing the Trinity rightly That's not the finish line of the Christian life. The goal of the Christian life isn't to get to this sort of great Trinitarian knowledge and now you're done. That's the start line. 
Right? Once you have apprehended God for who he really is, well, now you get to know him. And if you get to know him, well, now you can really love him. You can actually return a love to him flavored sort of like the way we could love each other. Actually feel that way about the invisible God and act that way. As Jesus says, this is how you know that you love me if you obey my commandments. Knowledge leads to love, leads to obedience. So getting the Trinity is great, but don't stop there. That's, That's the start line for the Christian life of loving God and as a result of that loving each other and obeying what God has commanded us. If we say we love God and we're willfully disobeying him, we don't love God. That's, that's the corollary, right? I should say we don't love God as we should. So, to put that together, the goal of orthodoxy, that's the word right, meaning right belief, is orthopraxy, right living. And we don't, we don't, as Christians, we don't just sort of like knowledge for its own sake. We like knowledge. We receive knowledge for the life that it leads us into. Orthodoxy leads to orthopraxy. Believing the Trinity rightly means to live a life that is really washed in Christ's blood. A life that's strengthened, really strengthened by the Holy Spirit. A life that really does give glory to God the Father. The one God who reigns forever and ever. Amen.